You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 65. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, guys. Happy 420. Uh, We have a special guest today, Ashley Manta, and we're going to be talking to her today about uh, cannabis, obviously, because it's 420. But we're going to be talking about what it is to actually be a canisexual, um, who should try products that incorporate cannabis. And we're also going to talk about the different types of products and how to look at those products and incorporate them into your intimacy. We're even going to touch on talking about the history of cannabis in the U.S. and sort of the political climate and how it has changed over the years. So without further ado, let's dive in. All right. So today we're talking to Ashley Manta. Ashley Manta is a sex and relationship coach and has created an internationally referenced lifestyle called Canisexual. She has become known for her work on the intentional combination of sex and cannabis, and she also offers long-distance coaching for individuals or couples who are interested in creating more intimacy and pleasure in their lives. She was dubbed America's High Princess of Pleasure when she appeared on the January 2019 cover of Sexual Health Magazine. Her work has been referenced in the London Times, Newsweek, Rolling Stone, Cosmopolitan, and many more. If you don't mind, you know, telling us a little bit about what made you interested in sort of combining cannabis use during sex, because you're the canisexual, which is a really awesome term. Did you come up with that yourself? I did. I came up with it and then subsequently trademarked it. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So I had never heard of it until I came across your stuff like a few years ago. And I was like, that's a really cool term. So what kind of got you started in that direction and kind of where you are now? Great question. I have been a sex educator for 11 years now. And the first, I would say third of my career was really largely focused on sexual violence prevention awareness and victim advocacy for survivors of sexual trauma. I myself am a survivor of sexual violence. And so I have diagnosed PTSD and what I later identified as complex PTSD, uh, which comes from early childhood um, prolonged trauma. And I realized that it was really impacting my sexual experience. And when I moved to California in 2013 from Pennsylvania, which was a prohibition state, I got my medical card and I was able to access medical cannabis for the first time. And I realized that it was a really powerful tool to manage my PTSD symptoms, to enhance my sexual experiences. I found this lube. It's actually really more of a marinade. It's a THC-infused sex oil from a company called Foria. And 
I had had pain with penetration my entire adult life. And using this oil was the first time I was able to have penetrative sex without pain. Yeah. And I know for like a lot of our listeners who like writing questions, painful sex is one of those things that it doesn't just impact the sex. It impacts like the interactions that you're having with your partner. So that had to be really rough for you. Absolutely. It really impacted how I related to my body and my ability to access pleasure generally. And so realizing that there was something that I could use to mindfully take more control over my sexual experiences was very empowering for me. And I realized that there weren't a lot of sexuality professionals who understood consent and anatomy and arousal talking about cannabis with regard to sexuality. And so I decided to make that kind of my niche. And so it was. (laughs) Okay. What attracted you to this idea of like canisexual and what makes canisexual different than someone who just has sex who is using cannabis? Like there's, is, is there a difference? There's definitely a difference in my approach. I mean, people have been combining sex and weed for ever. Yeah. (laughs) Ever. Yeah. I was going to say decades, but it's been much longer than that. There's been some suggestion that's been thousands of years even. And so this is not new. It, It certainly was not a concept born from me by any means, but my approach is one coming from a sexuality educator background that is very much prioritizing consent body awareness, thoughtfulness about being a savvy consumer in terms of the quality of the things that you're putting in your body, and also awareness and thoughtfulness around how do I feel right now and how do I want to feel and how can I really intentionally choose the products that I want to give me the results I'm looking for, as opposed to just smoking a joint and banging it out, which is totally fine if that's your thing. But if you want to do it in a really kind of nuanced way, that's where my approach comes in. With using cannabis in in your terms, being a canisexual, does that mean being high during sex? It does not have to. One of the things I try to raise awareness about is that you 100% do not have to feel high during sex to enjoy the benefits of cannabis. There are a lot of non-intoxicating ways of interacting with cannabis, including topicals, using products that are rich in CBD, using THCA, which is the acid form. It's the non-heated form of THC. When you heat THCA, it becomes Delta 9 THC, which is the kind of THC that gives you that intoxicated feeling. And so there are a lot of ways to use it to get the benefits without having to feel high. Because I know that is not of interest to a lot of people. There are folks who are either sober or they have kids and they don't feel like they can have, they can be high and take care of kids or they have jobs that drug test or there's any number of reasons why you wouldn't want to get high. But to know that there are other things out there that you can use still under the umbrella of cannabis is I think a useful data point. If you're looking at it from like a medical standpoint, like myself, I'm using myself as an example because I'm an easy one because we're talking, but I have Mm -hmm. some physical things from a car accident years ago. And for me personally, I'm not necessarily looking to get high, but there has been oils and things like that that I have used for pain management. Mm. That's very common, I hear from folks who have chronic pain from either an injury or a condition that they have who have found that pain distracts from your ability to be present 
certainly sexually, it can impact your pleasure experiences. And so to be able to address that without necessarily getting high is a really huge bonus, whether you use topicals or you soak in a bath or you use some kind of uh, tincture with a high CBD content, things like that. Say I was considering adding these things in, who would you recommend to consider it? Like what kind of person and for what types of purposes? So I'm guessing there's like different people for different things, obviously. Oh, absolutely. There's there's different products for different concerns and there's different... I couldn't paint you an avatar of somebody <laughs> who might use it for pain because like it's such a transcendent experience that like anyone could have, unfortunately, experience with chronic pain at any point in their lives based on the circumstance. But what I can tell you is that if you're curious about it, if, if it's not a hell no for you, because the other thing is I'm not trying to convert anyone. If someone is really against cannabis for whatever reason, cool, that's fine. You do you. I'm, I'm not trying to like push this on anyone. But if they're like, huh, I'm hearing this and I do have pain or actually I find it really hard to get out of my head during sex and I want to be more in my body, like could cannabis help with that? Yes. Whatever it is that's going on, cannabis can probably help if you choose the right product. So the kind of the first thing is, what do you want it to do? Like, what are you looking for? And from there, it makes it a lot easier to, to go into a dispensary, let's say, and say, hey, I have pain. I don't want to be high. What would be useful for that? And then the people there can start to direct you toward the things that you might want to use. And if you are willing to engage with the experience of being high in, in a controlled way, um, I would encourage folks to get a new product and take it home and masturbate and like try a little bit of it and then masturbate and and see how it impacts your experience so that you know if that's a thing that you're going to want to reach for again in the future. Okay. So you mentioned earlier and then, you know, you're talking now and, and you've brought up the word like consent. And I think that this is always one of those tricky areas because I'm in the BDSM community, for example. And consent is really, really important and making sure that someone is of a sound mind when they're making a a commitment or saying yes to doing something. So how do you go about when you're talking to people about doing things consensually and mindfully when they're using cannabis with intimacy? Such a great question. My golden rule is negotiate before you medicate and then check in regularly. So much like with a BDSM scene, that's actually a great example. Like let's say two people are playing together for the first time. I would probably say maybe don't use cannabis in that case. Or if you do, make sure that you're using it in a way that will not under any circumstances get you high. Like if you put a cream on your shoulder because you're a dom and you like to flog and you have arthritis in your throwing shoulder and you need something that's gonna allow you to do that comfortably, that's fine. But if you're using anything that's going to cause any kind of mental state change and it's a new partner, I would say don't. Now, if you and your dom of a year are like, huh, we're curious about what this looks like. We trust each other. We already have a body of data suggesting that we are, are fully aware and, and thoughtful about each other's limits and we honor each other's experiences and people use safe words as needed. Let's negotiate about what this scene would look like if we use this. And, and I think about Midori uh, as a really useful person for the, the conversations that she has before scenes with her partners. And I, I sometimes um, borrow some of that languaging with credit, of course, because she talks about 
what is it going to look like or sound like if you are having a good time? And what's it going to look like or sound like if you're in some kind of distress? And how would you like me to take care of you if that were to come up? And like having all of that laid out before anybody consumes anything, I think is crucial. Yeah. And I think that's important for really any scene in general. And Midori is an awesome person. (laughs) And I think that going about it that way from the start is always helpful. Is there anything additional that you would add to specifically around if you're high, things like that, any kind of precautions or conversations that you think might be added to that? I think questions around, have you used this particular thing that you're going to use before? How has it impacted you? What does it typically look like? If Has it ever impacted your ability to speak up? Like, is this something that will render you unable to speak? If that's the case, maybe don't choose that thing. Like, it's all about controlling variables and like limiting the opportunities for things to go badly. So if it's a brand new product or strain or whatever that you're using in a partnered sexual space may not be the best time to experiment with it. But if it's something that you smoke every time you masturbate, you know exactly how it hits you and exactly how much you need to use to get the results that you're looking for. And you say, you know, you go to your partner and say, hey, I want to use this together and have a conversation about it and make sure everybody's comfortable. Like, I think that's fine. Awesome. Thanks for the suggestions. Yeah, absolutely. And you're talking about different products. And I know myself, like I have looked into products. As I said earlier, I have some pain management issues. And for me, it's more of a, I don't want to hurt during sex, not even like vaginal pain, but like body pain and during my BDSM play. But there seems to be a pretty large scope of products out there. And and I personally have only used like an oil or two. So like what is the scope of products and like what kind of products are there out there? There are almost innumerable products at this point, which is a little bit daunting, I imagine, for new consumers who are just walking into a dispensary and it looks like a freaking Toys R Us. <laughs> and you're just like, uh, where do I even? And these bud tenders who are making like $14 an hour, who are expected to be therapists, product specialists, pharmacists, and salespeople all at the same time are using words like sativa, indica, and and terpenes and cannabinoids, and your your head is spinning. And <laughs> I don't envy people who are having that first time experience because it's a lot. And it's, it's almost gotten to be like rule 42 of the internet, where if you can think of it, there's probably a cannabis product of it. So there are, just to name a few, suppositories, tinctures, concentrates, vape pens, vaping flour. There are edibles. There are transdermal patches. There are inhalers. <laughs> like, it's just mind-blowing how much the product market has has exploded in the last few years. And so it's really hard for consumers to even know what would be good for them, where to start, things like that. And because it's hard to go to a doctor, like your doctor's not going to necessarily know what to tell you because they either can't give you advice because it could put their medical license at jeopardy or they don't know enough to give you advice. And that's a a mucky situation also. So 
it's complicated is the short answer. It really helps to have someone that you trust or to do a lot of like research so that you can sort of start to get an idea of what you're looking for and and maybe have someone who is an experienced user go in with you and and kind of guide you a little bit. So what would you tell people if they were saying, you know, this is my first time, I'm walking in, even just listening to you talk about the various products and like going through stuff, I'm like, wow, that seems really, really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And how in that situation can someone know if products that they're buying is like good stuff, bad stuff, fake stuff? What is your recommendations for kind of like knowing the difference between this vape pen powder is actually stuff that's good for you versus stuff that's not? What are your suggestions on kind of figuring out what things are actual CBD products? Because I know I've I've talked to folks who have been like, I found out, you know, later that this was like a, a knockoff kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're buying CBD on like, let's say Amazon you have a really high likelihood of buying something that's counterfeit. (laughs) And you can't buy hemp CBD products in dispensaries. That's just a thing. Because of the way the regulations are, like dispensaries are for things that contain THC, even in trace amounts. But I don't know of any dispensaries that carry hemp CBD products. um, And I don't believe that they're allowed to. So... So that's a whole like separate thing that I want to circle back to is hemp CBD products, which are mostly available in all 50 states. But for dispensaries specifically, when you walk in and you just see wall-to-wall products, I would suggest doing some reading in advance. Like get on Leafly. If you're sciencey, I would go on to like PubMed or Tikam Olam and and read like some papers. But I know the average person isn't going to do that. So get on Leafly read a couple of articles, kind of get a sense of what it is that you're actually looking for and and what you're trying to to help. And I think the safest place for any newbie to start with the least likelihood of like it going badly if it's not the right product for you is topicals. They go on your skin. They're great for pain or inflammation. Um, They can also be used if you apply them genitally and they're for genitals. You know, I wouldn't put like an average lotion on your bits. I would get something that's specifically designed for sexual contact, but topicals are not going to get you high, which is a really useful place to start because you can start to see like, oh, this is how you, this is how this interacts with my body. This is how it makes me feel. But you don't have to worry about that. Oh my God, I just did way too much of whatever it is that I just did. And I'm my head is spinning and I feel nauseous and I don't like this. I want to get off the ride because you cannot smoke less. You can always smoke more. You cannot smoke less. You cannot eat less. You can't undo it. It, Once you're on the ride, you are on the ride for the duration. And so topicals are a really safe place to start because there's less riding on it. I think hemp CBD, when the farm bill passed in December of 2018, everybody's like, look, CBD is legal in all 50 states. That's not actually what the farm bill did. If you read the law, it's CBD is still very much in a legal gray area. It's technically under the FDA's purview because it's, it's really a dietary supplement and then people are putting it in their mouths and that means it's the FDA's problem. And the FDA has not said what's safe, what's not, what the standards are for judging 
any of that. They have not established those guidelines yet, and they're set to start having hearings in May. So the landscape of hemp CBD in this country is going to drastically change in the next six to nine months. And right now, it's sort of a free-for-all, wild west kind of situation where anyone can slap a CBD label on pretty much anything, and it doesn't. there's not a whole lot of blowback if it's not what they say it is, which makes it a very dangerous time because you don't know what you're putting in your body. And so I encourage folks to use reputable companies. So like there have been companies like Foria that now have a hemp CBD line. And so since I trust them in the the cannabis space, I trust that they will take that integrity of their business practices into the CBD space. And there have been a few other companies like them who started out with cannabis and have expanded to a a CBD line. There's another one called Mondo, M-O-N-D-O, that made a dissolvable powder that you could put in your tea or on your ice cream or whatever, and they just expanded to a hemp CBD powder. I would trust their stuff too. Like it's, there's a vetting process. And so like hiring, you know, getting consultants consultations from folks who are in the cannabis industry, those are the ones who are the most likely to know kind of what's going on and to know their local markets. Um, Jane West is an entrepreneur who is in Colorado. She has a THC cannabis company, and then she also has some CBD products that just came out. I would trust her. So like having a, a resource in your life, someone you can go to and be like, hey, so what direction should I go in? I think is valuable to sort of vet out the the wheat from the chaff, if you will. So if folks didn't have sort of a resource that's like a personal resource, is there anywhere else that you would recommend specifically checking out and, and looking at if, say, I'm looking into this and it's really only me? I don't necessarily have a circle or a community where I have people that I can go to and ask, hey, do you think this is a reputable company? Do you What do you think about this? Yeah, there is. I actually just spoke at the Cannabis Nurses Network conference. It was in San Diego at the end of February. And they have a network of nurses who have been educated about cannabis, many of whom actually offer consultations with folks who are curious about cannabis as medicine. And they're not the only ones. There's a a phone app that I recently became aware of called the Green Life app. And they have resources and they'll actually connect you to medical professionals who can answer your questions about cannabis. So I would encourage folks to talk to their their medical professionals. And if they're not trained in some way in cannabis medicine, like do some research around if there are cannabis medicine trained providers in their area or who are available remotely who could do remote sessions with them. I think it's really interesting the culture behind cannabis that and, and how it has kind of changed over the last couple of years. It was not something that was really talked about. And it seems like it was very much like this, oh, that's what teenagers do or people sneak off and do when they're going on their camping trips. And it's becoming a lot more popular being talked about in regards to like medical uses. So just the fact that you hit on that and we're saying that there's like nurses and things like that that are out there, I feel like a few years back, that would not have been the case. It would not have been. And really, the history of cannabis culture in this country is deeply steeped in racism and 
the government trying to attack like counterculture and progressive movements. Like back in the early 1900s, there were ads for cannabis tinctures in Sears Robux catalogs. And somewhere around, you know, 1910s, 1920s, early 1930s, the government decided that they wanted to use cannabis as a way to oppress people of color. And so they did. And they made it illegal and they started putting people in jail and they used it to feed the prison industrial complex. And Nixon and Reagan came along in the 60s and saw that cannabis was taking hold in the hippie communities and they vilified that and they made it, you know, stoners are lazy and unmotivated and they, they created this bias so that, you know, good people, quote unquote, wouldn't use cannabis. And so it's been such a tool for social control for so long that we're only just starting to kind of break out of it. And the problem is it's getting whitewashed, like from the word go, because the people who are making the most money in the cannabis industry right now are cis white men. And I suspect that's sort of by design. Like now they're kind of being like, oh, oh, this is a place we can make money. Well, let's make sure that no women or people of color can make money in this industry. Like cannabis is 100% a social justice issue. Well, I appreciate you like taking the time. I know that wasn't actually like the subject that we were like going down, but like I think it's great for people to know sort of the history. I'm a bit of a history buff and and really you you mentioned it, but like talking about like what went on with Reagan around cannabis is is really, really interesting when you start diving into just how back asswards that was. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you taking the time to like dive into that. And I'm interested to see how things go over the next few years because it's the narrative is changing. But as you said, now it is this change in the culture around it too, because it's a money thing. Right. And whenever we mix money with things, they, they tend to get murky really quick. That's so real. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like we're going to have a peak of good stuff and then it's just going to go really downhill. So I'm interested to see how this kind of plays out because, you know, you get big pharma involved in things and stuff like that. And that's a whole other different conversation. So right. <laughs> um, we're going to spin it back around a little bit, but... Do you have any tips for our listeners who may be like thinking about introducing cannabis into their intimacy practices? Like, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. What sort of tips for intimacy and in, in using it that maybe a newbie should give a try or, or think about prior? So I'll share with you my sort of gold standard thing that I suggest to couples if they're like, we're curious about it, but we don't really know how, like how it how to do it or what it would look like in practice. And so like, let me kind of walk you through an evening that I would suggest for folks to try. You take two partners and whoever, whichever partner finds it more difficult to get turned on after work, like whoever has the more stressful day-to-day responsibilities in a way that doesn't cause fights between the two of you, like, no, my job's more stressful. (laughs) But like, Usually there's one, there's one who like can't seem to get out of their head. It's really hard for them to get turned on. It's like they, they don't have time or they feel too busy for sex, like whoever that partner is. And in my experience with the couples that I have worked with and to paint in massively overgeneralized strokes in heterosexual couplings, it tends to be the woman who that is the person who is really stressed and is finding it difficult to connect. So for the sake of this example, let's say that that's the case. So you've got husband and wife and wife's got a real stressful job and she can't seem to like 
turn off her brain and like get present sexually. So what I would tell this couple is to have the husband draw a hot bath for her, light some candles, make it like really sweet, drop in an infused bath bomb. It could be CBD, it could be THC, it could be both. But they have those. They have bath bombs and so it smells good and it helps relax your muscles. Let her sit in the bath for 15, 20 minutes and just like soak off the day. While she's doing that, he goes into the bedroom, make sure that it's tidy so that there's not like clothes on the floor, making everybody feel distracted and like, oh, I can't relax because like I'm tripping over toys or messes or whatever. Tidy the room, change the lighting so it's kind of relaxing and put on some soothing or sexy music light some incense or candles if that's appropriate or or appealing to your partner. And then when they get out of the tub, you dry them off, you take them over to the bed and you give them a really sweet massage with no attachment to that becoming sexual. Like it's just connection, kissing, feeling good together, taking care of their body. And I wouldn't be surprised if At some point in the evening, the person who's receiving all of this wonderful pampering starts to be like, hey, I actually am sort of in the mood for sexy fun times now. Let's talk about that. Let's let's do the thing. That is like my gold standard evening that I tell couples to do. Absolutely. Because when you are creating intimacy without the demand of sex, it makes things relaxing, which then usually a lot of times leads to sex. Precisely. It's awesome. Thanks. (laughs) So any other suggestions with introducing this that you would make as far as, say, for instance, you know, we do have lots of listeners that are in non-monogamous groupings and couples and triads and groups of different sorts. Like, what would be some suggestions that you would have for, like, incorporating that in a way that is fun and safe for everybody that's involved? Oh, that's such a great question. So. I'm also non-monogamous, so yay for that. And I have used cannabis in a threesome setting that went unbelievably well. (laughs) So prior to the beginning of our entanglement together, and I say entanglement in the most loving way, (laughs) um, it was my regular lover and one of my every so often sporadic lovers. And they were coming together and it was for Valentine's Day for me. And it was two cis guys and me. And that was my Valentine's Day Lovely. Excellent. And so we went out to dinner beforehand and I sat between them and like we chatted and sort of negotiated through dinner, shared any limits, shared our kind of mildest and wildest hopes for the evening. And then we got back to my place and I rolled a joint for us and we each took just one hit. And we had all smoked previously, like my tolerance was much higher than theirs, but I encouraged them to kind of less is more. And so we all smoked and then we started kissing and and I kissed my partner and then I kissed my other lover. And then they, it was a, what do they call them? Devil's threesome. They were not involved with each other. They were all just focused on me, which was awesome. It was really fun. Like it would have been fine if they were involved with each other too, but it was really nice to be the the jelly in the middle of the sandwich. Center of attention feels good yeah, sometimes. Like, yeah. So, so I took turns kissing both of them. And then the goal of the evening was my sporadic lover is very skilled in anal. 
And I had always had some hangups around receiving anal stimulation. And so the goal, one of the goals of the evening that I had identified was I wanted to, if, if anyone was going to be able to create pleasure in my ass or help me find pleasure in my ass, it was going to be this person. And so I used a THC and CBD infused suppository to help relax everything without numbing because I'm super anti-analese or anything with benzocaine or lidocaine in it because pain exists for a reason. But with cannabis, it helps to relax and it helps to decrease discomfort without numbing. And it also heightens pleasurable sensations. And so I put in the suppository, I sprayed on the foria in the front. I kind of let that all marinate while we were kissing and, and enjoying each other's bodies. And then I started giving my primary partner a blowjob while my other lover was like starting to give me a massage. Like he started on my glutes outside and then was doing just external anal opening and then was like very, and then communicating with me the whole time. Are you ready for penetration? Okay. I want you to be talking to me. Tell me when you want more. Tell me, slow down. Tell me, stop. Tell me more lube. I want to know all of that. It was all like communication was at a premium. And we were all relaxed because we had a little bit of cannabis in our systems, but nobody was feeling like stoned or out of control in any way. And I ended up having a really amazing orgasm with anal penetration and a vibe on my clit. And I wrote about it for Dope Magazine. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Sounds amazing. So that's just one example of how that could go. Yeah. I mean, that's that's that sounds awesome. And I think there's something to be said about, for lack of a better term, microdosing. Like yes. doing things in small amounts to give yourself that, okay, I'm a little more looser. I'm a little bit more calmer. I feel good but my senses are completely there. I'm able to keep that good communication because I'm able to be mindful in that kind of a situation. Definitely. Less is more is really, it's a good rule of thumb for edibles, for cannabis generally, for butt plug sizes. Like it's really, you know, start small. You can always add more. Don't let your eyes be bigger than your orifices. That's that's fantastic advice. We actually had an episode that we did with uh, Jackie Griero, and it was actually one of the only other episodes where Rigel wasn't joining us. So it's funny, we're going back to it. And it was a um, strap-oning episode. And mm. I think we must have said during that episode, less is more like eight times, but <laughs> it is, it, it really is. And I think that a lot of times, whether it's something like this where you're 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 adding something to sex or even in using your own body sometimes mm -hmm. less is more right like giving yourself that opportunity to say okay i can do this this works for me let's try a little tiny bit more versus like diving into something and being like that was way too much that was not good and having a bad experience with it. Just exactly so. The, my, my fear, my kind of nightmare scenario is somebody hears like, oh, Ashley talks about sex and cannabis. I'm just going to go get like obliterated and hope for the best. And then they have a terrible time. They're like, gosh darn that Ashley. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And they never try cannabis again. And like, I don't want that for anybody. 
I want them to have a really amazing, empowered, pleasurable experience. And I think that the way that you set yourself up for success in that way is by starting really, really small and gradually adding more. Awesome. So is there anything else that you feel like our folks should know before we kind of move into our speed round? The one thing that I try to tell everyone on every podcast I go on is do not rely on sativa and indica as indicators of effects. This is a deeply common and pervasive issue in the cannabis industry. And I even have colleagues in the industry who are still using it as shorthand, even though I know they know better. But in what we found in in science is that sativa does not necessarily mean buzzy, energetic, creative, and indica does not necessarily mean sleepy, relaxed, heavy. There's no correlation whatsoever between sativa, indica, and the effects. It's just, they're just words. They're just like, it it used to be when we were dealing with illegal markets that a dealer would be like, I smoked a little of this and got real buzzy. I'm going to call this sativa and, you know, vice versa. And so they were using it as an explanation to, to give people an idea of what to expect. But the problem is, one, it's completely subjective. And the thing that makes me really buzzy and anxious and miserable could put you to sleep. And two, because strain names and, and what, what we found with the plants is they're so crossbred anyway, everything is a hybrid. Everything has some percentage of both in it. And the things that actually tend to impact effects are what we call cannabinoid and terpene profiles, which are things that you need to read on lab results. And if you don't know what any of those things mean, even looking at the lab results isn't going to really do much for you. So it's understand that whatever it is that you're getting, you're going to have to try a little bit of and see how it works for your body and then go from there. But you can't just be like, oh, this is a sativa. I only use sativas because I need something that's going to wake me up. Like that doesn't actually work. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I think I, it's funny because, you know, this isn't an area that I am well-versed in, but I do have lots of friends who, who, you know, have conversations around this and they'll be like, you know, this is what I like versus I don't like. So it's interesting to hear your perspective of, of saying like, you really don't know that until you've given that particular product a try. Exactly. So I think that's really good information because I think there is a lot of misconception around that. So much. So are you ready to dive into our speed round? Yes, let's do it. All right. So we're going to get started. It's supposed to be like 10 questions in 60 seconds. Nobody ever makes it that fast, but give it a try. All right, let's do it. Ashley, what is something you're not very good at? I am not good at deep throating. The best piece of relationship advice you've ever received? Communicate always. What are three things you couldn't live without? My proximity to the beach, my phone, and really great food. What turns you on? Dirty talk. Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Friends is stupid. A book you would recommend for our listeners? Come As You Are by Dr. Emily Nagoski. What's your biggest fear? Dying. What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? It could be sexual or it could not be. Skydiving. Awesome. Who is your movie star or TV celebrity crush? Charlie Hunnam. What's something you're working on right now that you want our listeners to know about? 
I am working on an online sex and cannabis course where I will go through all of this stuff so that people have a baseline to be able to know what to do and how to do it. That's amazing. And for our listeners, you can find out more about Ashley at canasexual.com. And we'll put that in the show notes. Awesome. So thank you, Ashley, for hopping on with us and talking with us today. It was great talking to you. Thank you. It was great talking to you too. All right, guys. It was a pleasure to have Ashley Mansa on and to be able to talk to her today. And if you guys want to check out any of the links that we talked about in the show, you can find those at atouchofflavor.com forward slash 065. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. And I had a blast. And I'm like, I'm now thinking through my rapid fire answers. I'm like, man, people are totally going to disagree with me that Friends is not all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) I never liked that show. People are so obsessed with it. And I'm like, just not into it. You're right. You're right. It's not good. (laughs) It's not good. Like, it's based on a show that started in the UK called Coupling, which I actually really liked. And it was way more sexual and funny. You slept with someone else? (laughs) We were home!